Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for joining us on how government intervention is hurting competition in hospital markets, increasing patient costs, and limiting choice. Please welcome our host, Darren Bass, Senior Research Fellow in Regulatory Policy Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Good afternoon. Uh, my, my name is Darren Bass, as was said, and I am a Senior Research Fellow here at Heritage. And we're fortunate today to speak with Bob Moffat, who's a leading expert in healthcare policy and a Senior Fellow in Domestic Policy at the Heritage Foundation. There's been recent attention on consolidation issues, largely ignoring the role the government has played in any consolidation. The Biden administration, as evidenced by its executive order on competition, brings up consolidation and competition issues, using it as a pretext for more government intervention in the marketplace. Consolidation in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing when private actors are responding to market forces and meeting the needs of consumers, but it is generally a bad thing when the consolidation is a result of the government distorting the market, which often hurts consumers. And today we're gonna, we're gonna discuss such an example, government intervention that has led to hospital consolidation. And let's get right to it. Bob, it's really nice to see you and thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Darren. Great to so, see you. So I think a, a good place to start would be you know, can you explain whether there's really been greater hospital consolidation going on in recent years? Uh, sure, Darren. Uh, there's no question about it. A hospital consolidation happens whenever a relatively small number of hospital corporations or hospital systems dominate at any, any given market. And yes, uh, hospital consolidation has accelerated in recent years. And this has largely taken place uh, through uh, mergers and acquisitions, hospitals buying other up other hospitals or systems buying up other hospitals and medical providers. Just to give you some idea, between 2009 and 2014, uh, mergers and acquisitions among hospitals actually doubled. Uh, with the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, uh, we've seen an acceleration of this activity. Uh, between 2013 and 2017, there were 456 such mergers and in 2018 alone, uh, there were about 90 mergers. So the result is today that, according to the Federal Trade Commission, about 90% of the nation's hospital markets are highly concentrated. Wow, that's it's uh, amazing. And so if we can go through, like, so is consolidation, like, first of all, is it hindering competition? And is it hurting co uh, consumers? Oh, yes, there's no question about it. Uh, as, uh, there's no question about it. You have consolidation means basically you have less competition. When you have less competition, you have uh, less choice. Choice and competition are basically uh, uh, different sides of the same coin. Without choice, alter without alternatives, there is no competition. Without competition, there's no, no choice. And um, what you mean, what happens is reduced competition means that prices are higher and the quality of services suffers. The concern that we have here at Heritage is none of this is happening in some kind of a policy vacuum. As you mentioned earlier, there are organic consolidations that come, come, come about 
as a result of consumer demand. And uh, that's not necessarily the problem. Uh, the problem is government policy. And government policy at the federal and state level has, in fact, undercut market competition. This is true in two areas. Uh, first, uh, at, at the state level, uh, state regulatory policies uh, in many parts of the country have inhibited the entry of new uh, suppliers of medical services or innovative firms or medical professionals or delivery systems into the system. Uh, certificate of need laws, which we'll talk about later, are, are a prime example of this. And the other side of this is that federal payment policies uh, have contributed to market consolidation. Medicare and Medicaid uh, are basically responsible for about 34 percent of all hospital revenues on average throughout the United States. But Medicare is such a dominant uh, player in the, uh, in the marketplace. Uh, the effect is that the Medicare policies and Medicaid policies to some extent are restricting more robust competition among healthcare providers and professionals. And this is happening on the ground in different parts of the country, all over the country. So glad you brought up the, the government role, and that's kind of where we're going next. Um, so, so Bob's running a great new paper called How Congress Can Help to Reverse Hospital Market Consolidation. And so, Bob, in, in that paper, you, you explain hospital consolidation has accelerated since the enactment of the Affordable Care Act, which basically is Obamacare. Can you, can you explain how Obamacare has led to consolidation issues? Yes, uh I should point out that most consolidation took place uh, well before the enactment of Obamacare. In fact, the data shows that most consolidation took place before the year 2000. Um, but uh, while Obamacare didn't create hospital consolidation, uh, there's no question, and the data shows this, as I just mentioned earlier, that under the, uh, under the Affordable Care Act, it has certainly accelerated. And I think the reason for that is that the law introduced certain powerful incentives that have encouraged uh, mergers and acquisitions and consolidation. I'll just mention, I'll mention three of them. Um, the first is, is that Obamacare, as a, as a matter of governance, uh, has been basically a vast transfer of regulatory authority from the states to the federal government. So the law basically federalized and centralized a large body of American healthcare regulation, which in turn has helped to contribute uh, to further uh, hospital consolidation. Now, the quantum increase uh, in federal regulation uh, has imposed uh, very heavy transactional costs on medical professionals, uh, doctors, and particularly hospitals. And uh, what I mean by transactional costs is the cost of basically complying uh, with this new regulatory regime. Uh, that takes time, energy, and effort. Uh, and also, uh, it takes uh, uh, dollars. Um, the second thing is that uh, uh, Obamacare uh, also made very significant reductions in payment uh, for Medicare Part A providers. And of course, the major Medicare Part A provider are hospitals. Uh, actually, these uh, reductions in payment are really significant, uh, $800 billion, uh, roughly, in the first 10 years. Well, if you put these two things together, large institutions are really much better able to absorb both the transactional cost of heavy regulation 
as well as uh, absorbing the payment reductions that have been imposed by Obamacare. And thus it made sense for hospital executives and corporations to look and see where they could merge with other institutions to absorb other institutions uh, and basically share uh, the additional regulatory burdens and share the additional transactional costs of Obamacare regulations. There's one more thing that cannot be uh, ignored here. And that is the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, blocked reimbursement by Medicare and Medicaid uh, for new physician-owned uh, hospitals, including specialty hospitals, hospitals that specialize in cancer care, uh, cardiology, and orthopedic care. Uh, this was a direct bar uh, to entry of innovative hospitals. These are focused factories of high quality care. And it directly blocked this new class of potential competitors to the nation's uh, large hospital systems. That's a direct assault on competition within the hospital market. Just briefly, what was, what was the motivation behind that last uh, well, I think large hospital, large hospital uh, uh, systems uh, and the hospital lobbies, the big hospital lobbies in Washington for many, many years have been arguing that they, they did not feel that they were getting fair competition from the specialty hospitals, particularly those owned by physicians. Uh, so they were very much opposed to, to the entry of these new hospitals. And my own view is is that as a political matter, this is nothing more than, you know, old-fashioned rent-seeking where, um, you know, the lobbyists basically uh, use the law to block uh, competition uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, other new firms. And the law has been successful in doing that. So, so let's pivot away from Obamacare real quick um, and get into an issue that I actually, I, I worked in state policy and this is an issue that kind of got involved in myself. Um, and that is, can you explain how state certi certificate of need laws have exacerbated this consolidation problem? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the ground. Uh, in the United States today, in 35 states, plus the District of Columbia, uh, the way it works under these laws is hospital officials uh, or medical professionals, new medical providers, they must go to a state agency, uh, a board or a commission, and prove uh, to that agency that there is a need uh, for a new hospital, a new medical facility, or a need uh, to uh, expand uh, the hospital or modify their existing hospital or medical facilities. Uh, this often requires very detailed studies, uh, analyses, and statistical projections. And uh, the result is, is that medical professionals, uh, uh, medical providers, uh, often have to hire lawyers and lobbyists and consultants uh, to help them uh, go through this process. Now, I'm former chairman of the Maryland Healthcare Commission, which is a rather powerful regulatory commission. And I was involved in overseeing a lot of this. And I can tell you, it is a very time-consuming process. It takes up a lot of uh, effort, not only in the part of the private sector, but also uh, a lot of uh, staff uh, time uh, to, uh, to go through this. And sometimes, as far as the medical professionals and providers, uh, it's costing hundreds of thousands of dollars. It can take 
months or as I say, or even years. Uh, so then, you know, if and only if the state agency agrees that there is a need based on the on the presentation of the hospital executives or the medical professionals, only then do they get a certificate of need, which is a kind of government permission slip uh, to go ahead and start construction or open a new wing or modify uh, some medical facility. Uh, that's the way it works. We do have some, uh, we have a lot of evidence on this, but I will just mention to you that based on data uh, developed by the Kaiser Family Foundation, it appears that states that have such certificate of need laws generally generate higher healthcare costs than states that do not. And based on the Kaiser Family Foundation data about uh, the states that have these laws uh, generate healthcare costs that are about 11% higher on average uh, than states that do not. Uh, the literature, the professional literature, the kind of stuff that you and I read all the time when you're doing economic or policy research indicates that these laws increase, they don't decrease costs, uh, they do not improve quality, and they directly harm, harm competition. You know, I, I mean, the, the certificate need laws are, you know, yeah, they're <laughs> troubling. And, and I'm just wondering, has the federal government weighed in on, on it? Oh, Have yeah. they done any reports? No, I've got some good news. Yeah, that's that's right. Okay, One, there's some good news here. And I, and I think I think it's vitally important for people to understand this, that under both Democratic and Republican uh, 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 presidential administrations, the Federal Trade Commission and the antitrust division of the Department of Justice instantly opposed certificate of need laws whenever they have been called upon to testify uh, concerning the impact, the economic impact of these laws. Uh, the, the Federal Trade Commission has argued that these laws work primarily as barriers to the entry of new providers. And given what I had said earlier about the fact that you have to spend a lot of time developing a case, uh, that's not surprising. But the effect is not only to bar entry or act as a barrier to, uh, to entry for new providers, they limit consumer choice, obviously, and they stifle innovation. In other words, both the antitrust division of the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission have labeled these laws as fundamentally anti-competitive. And the evidence they, and based on their interpretation of the evidence uh, in the states, these laws neither control costs, uh, nor do they improve quality. So, so we've talked about Obamacare, we've talked about state certificate need laws, and one, one area that you talk about in your paper, and I'm just gonna, you write this, um, although a variety of independent factors have contributed to the consolidation, Medicare payment policy has played a powerful role. Can, can you explain how it's played a powerful role? Sure. Uh, it's If you think about it, it's not too hard. Uh, Medicare, which uh, accounts for about $926 billion in healthcare spending in the United States this year, past year, uh, is the largest payer in the American healthcare system. Uh, Medicare payment, uh, the distribution of that payment and the conditions of payment have a profound influence uh, on the private sector. You'll find often that the private sector payment systems shadow uh, Medicare payment. In the case of Medicare payment for hospitals, 
Darren, um, the payments are higher for medical procedures that are delivered in a hospital or medical services that are provided in a hospital setting. And they're lower or non-existent if they're delivered in a non-hospital setting. Well, this is a powerful incentive, just the Medicare payment system, uh, to centralize service delivery uh, through hospitals rather than other kinds of medical facilities or clinics or other types of institutions. Uh, so, Bob, I think the, now that we've kind of fortunately heard all these problems, uh, let's start to look to solutions. And I know you made some recommendations for Congress. Let's go back to the state certificate, uh, certificate of need laws. Um, you recommend in, in your paper for Congress to take some action regarding state con laws. Um, what can Congress do exactly? All right, let's 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 be very clear about this. State certificate of need laws uh, are primarily a matter uh, for the states and state legislators. It's a state responsibility. Obviously, these laws are state laws. The gov federal government has no right uh, to interfere uh, with the state's determination of its own interstate uh, commerce. Uh, so that's not, a, that's not a question. But I think what the general public has got to understand is that these laws do have an overall impact on overall healthcare costs in a state, but the federal taxpayers are, they're not insulated from the effects of these state laws. And let me explain. If the state con laws or the certificate of need laws are driving up the cost of care in a state. And if the federal government under current law is automatically subsidizing that cost through higher federal subsidies to the state, such as, for example, uh, the Affordable Care Act uh, insurance subsidies that automatically track uh, state health care cost increases, then these states are obviously imposing an additional burden on federal taxpayers. It's one thing to impose healthcare costs on the citizens of your own state as a state legislature, but if you're starting to affect the rest of us, then Congress, I think, uh, has a legitimate uh, area of inquiry. My simple suggestion, and I'm not saying it's an easy suggestion, don't misunderstand me. My suggestion is, is that federal actuaries should determine the extent to which a state's con laws or certificate of need laws have that impact on increasing cost uh, that spills over to federal subsidies. And Congress should adjust uh, subsidies to the states uh, to recover that proportional amount on behalf of the federal taxpayers. I think that's only fair. Obvious a question. I, I think we talked about this before, um, not today, but weeks past, are the number of state con laws basically the same or are they've they well, been a reduction? They've been pretty, sta they've been pretty stable, uh, as I say, 35 states and District of Columbia. But the good news on this is that a lot of states are starting to rethink con laws and uh, there have been you know, efforts to repeal or review uh, these laws or to reform them or, am or amend them. Uh, I think what we've seen in recent, uh, in recent, in basically recent, very recent years, is we've seen uh, we've seen efforts by state uh, state legislatures uh, to amend or 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 modify or reform uh, con laws, and that's a good thing. 
you got to realize a lot of this is very, very much based on the politics that are per particular to the state. And uh, as I say, I mean, it varies from state to state, but you got to understand that many of the hospital lobbies are very powerful. Uh, and uh, most of them, at least in my experience uh, as chairman of the Maryland Healthcare Commission, uh, they have been historically opposed to any kind of reform of the certificate of need laws. I can testify to that under oath. <laughs> so, you know, one of your second uh, recommendations, Bob, is um, to Congress is some, some you say site neutrality in Medicare. Can you just explain what this would do and, wh and why it would actually help? Oh, sure. Uh, yes. As I said earlier, uh, Medicare generally pays more for a service uh, or a medical procedure if it is delivered in a hospital setting rather than, uh, let's say, a clinic or an outside medical facility or some or a doctor's office. Uh, the effect of that is, of course, is it raises the cost uh, not only for taxpayers, but also for seniors uh, who, you know, and it under. But the problem is it undercuts the entry of new and innovative providers who would otherwise be able to compete directly with hospitals on a level playing field. Uh, so my recommendation simply is that we pay the same uh, for a medical service or a medical procedure, regardless of where uh, that procedure is delivered. And what that would mean is that Medicare, which is, again, such a powerful player in the system, would establish a level playing field uh, between hospitals and other medical uh, for, uh, medical institutions. And it would stimulate a direct competition uh, between hospitals and these other medical facilities. We know from uh, early uh, some, some earlier ec econometric work that that would result in very big savings for federal taxpayers. But the, the key thing here is that that direct competition would have a spillover effect on private sector markets that are so heavily influenced by Medicare. Um, and I think this has bipartisan potential, frankly. Um, you may recall that President Trump uh, proposed a regulatory reform uh, that would uh, champion um, uh, neutral payment uh, for uh, Medicare uh, uh, and that's a very, very good idea. Frankly, we, we have taken a position here, my colleagues and I, that Congress should codify what President Trump did in regulation and expand it, frankly. Uh, it's also, though, this idea of uh, site neutrality in Medicare payment, paying the same in a hospital as in, a let's say, a clinic or another medical facility, has been endorsed by uh, the liberal analyst uh, at the Brookings Institution, as well as the Center for American Progress. So frankly, uh, there's absolutely no reason, in, no reason I can imagine why Democrats in Congress uh, should not be able to get on board uh, on this uh, proposal. Bob, do you, do you know if the, the Trump rules, are they still in effect or is Biden administration try to get rid of them or are they not to doing the best anything? Of my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, they're, they're still in effect. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, so when you're final recommendations in the paper deals with the Affordable Care Act and repealing uh, some of the provisions. What, what are the provisions that you were referring to and um, well, how could that be yeah. important? Yeah, th there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of provisions in the Affordable Care Act that I would get uh, get rid of before breakfast, to be honest with you, because I think they are <laughs> counterproductive. Uh, they raise costs and they 
they have basically undermined consumer choice and competition in the markets, especially the, the insurance markets. But that aside, in this area, with regard to the market consolidation of hospitals, I think the most important change in this area would be the repeal of Section 6001 of the Affordable Care Act. I mentioned it earlier, but this provision prohibits physician-owned hospitals, including specialty hospitals, uh, from participating in Medicare and Medicaid, just like all other hospitals. As I said earlier, this law blocks the entry of these hospitals into the Medicare and Medicaid markets. Darren, this is blatantly anti-competitive. I mean, you can't get any more anti-competitive than this. Now, there's mounting evidence and in the professional literature uh, that these specialty hospitals and physician-owned hospitals provide medical care that is generally of higher quality uh, than other hospitals, and they can do so at a lower or comparable price than other hospitals. So the law basically today is blocking entry of new and innovative hospitals that could de deliver high quality specialized care. And that really means that the law is restricting senior citizens from having access to the highest quality of specialized care. And just as a matter of, um, just as a matter of morality, uh, this is in my view unconscionable. We have got to solve this problem. There's no reason to have that kind of special interest uh, blockading of access to quality care because of special interest politics. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, one of the things that, so I do some work on competition issues and there's, there's so much overlap between the competition issues and cronyism and just flat out, oh, yeah. you know, doing favors <laughs> for, you know, I mean, people, sometimes people get surprised that a business or certain industries actually want regulation, but they want regulation oh, yeah. because it creates barriers to entry and, and they're able to comply with the regulations knowing that new entrants won't be able to or so i'm sure that's happening yeah. it sounds like it's prevalent in the hospital market oh it's very strong i mean as i say and generally speaking for example when it came to things when it comes to things like uh, uh certificate of need laws in my experience the hospitals say well we don't really need any change in that the existing uh you know existing medical providers say, oh no 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 you guys are going too far what are you talking about free markets don't work in healthcare." Get rid of that idea, you know, and basically what they're saying, in effect, is, is that if you were to enact, let's say, a reform of certificate of need laws, you would undermine their position and you would undermine uh, their uh, profit margins by forcing them into competition with new and innovative providers. I mean, it's outrageous on on many levels, but in, in the healthcare sector of the economy, it's quite common and it is very, very, very intense in many, many, many different states where you have both in the insurance market and also in the healthcare delivery market, where you have very, very powerful uh, oligopolies in many, case, many cases uh, that are perfectly happy to be with the status quo and take advantage of the status quo and have higher profit margins as a result of it. The problem is, of course, consumers suffer, prices go up and quality suffers. Hopefully it's not a curveball for you, but I, you know, because I'm worried about consumers and worried about patients and, I'm also thinking about kind of lower income households that, you know, and a lot of when you deal with like basic needs like energy and food prices that are going up, they tend to be disproportionately hurt. Oh, yeah. I would assume the same thing is happening. And when we're dealing with healthcare. 
Not uh, quite. Not quite. And I'll tell you why. Because if you're okay. lower income, if you're lower income and you're in the private market, you're on you're in uh, uh, oh, the Obamacare uh, insurance exchanges. And the subsidies for the Obamacare insurance exchanges, the lower your income, the bigger the federal subsidy. The problem is, and that's the, this is the difficulty, the problem is that every increase in health care cost as a result is a bigger increase uh, on the taxpayers because basically the taxpayers are picking up uh, the, the tab. Um, but it is true, for example, that if you're lower income and you're in Medicaid, you can't have access. You don't normally get access to the high quality care that people get uh, in terms of specialty care or physician care. Uh, that people get in private health insurance. The literature on that is pretty rich. So, Bob, I know that you've worked on um, consumer-driven market competition in healthcare. Um, it, just kind of a big picture question: Why, why is consumer-driven market competition in healthcare? Why would it be good for competition and for senior citizens for for all Americans? Well, you're asking a uh, you're asking you know a big screen question you know and yep. uh, uh, and it's a very big issue. Let's let's look at the facts on the ground. The American healthcare sec sector of the economy is simply huge. It's about three point seven trillion dollars, uh, close to not far away from twenty percent of uh, the entire American economy. It's enormous. The thing that characterizes the healthcare sector of the economy, however, is this. Most ordinary individuals have very, very little direct economic power when it comes to the big questions. For example, what kind of health plan you have, what kind of medical procedures and treatments uh, and, and services you get in your health care plan, uh, what you will pay in premiums or deductibles, what, uh, what kind of access you will have to a particular set of specialized you know, physicians and so on. These decisions are made by, um, by other parties, uh, employers, uh, managed care executives, and under Obamacare, more and more, uh, under Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, uh, these are government decisions. If you're in Medicare or Medicaid, these are all government decisions. What you get, what you don't get is all a matter of decisions, um, or decisions basically made by somebody else. Um, the most important issue, in my view, in healthcare is simple. It is who really makes the key decisions in the system. Who controls the flow of dollars in the system? If the consumer makes the key decisions and controls the dollars, then insurance company executives, medical professionals, hospitals, clinics, all will be compelled to respond to the consumer's wishes. If the consumer has choice, real choice, then there will be competition. And where there is competition, there is, as you know, Adam Smith told us this back in 1776, there is innovation, there is cost control, and you will have increased productivity. This is true in healthcare as it is in every other sector of the economy. Where you have choice and competition, individuals and families will be able to get better value for their healthcare dollars. At the end of the day, that is best for individuals and families. And frankly, Darren, it's best for America as a whole. We do not have a competitive healthcare system where individuals and families make the key decisions and control the dollars. And until we get there, uh, we are going to have a lot of dysfunction, a lot of waste, 
a lot of uh, and, and and a lot of and a, and a lot of wasted energy uh, among doctors and hospitals, clinics, and home health agencies, and the various other other folks uh, who could do actually a better job. We do a pretty good job in many ways, but we could perform much better actually. Bob, I I really appreciate. It. I've I've learned so much just talking the last thirty minutes, and also reading your paper. I learned so much. So. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I okay. uh, and I, I want to thank everybody um, who's participating today in today's program and watching a recording of the event. I encourage you to visit heritage.org to learn more about the issue we've just, just discussed today. And, and please do read Bob's new paper, our other policy work. And, of course, p- please like look out for our future events because we have a lot of great events coming up. I also encourage you to contact me. Uh, directly using the information on your screen if you'd like to continue the conversation. You'll receive a survey immediately following this event. Please complete this so that we can bring ideas that you care about to the public square. Again, thank you. Have a great day, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.